Welcome to the Health is Wealth podcast. I'm Nicole Nelson, founder of Living Well with Nick, health coach and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you the tools, strategies, and motivational stories that will move you to take inspired action. It's time to break through fear and elevate your life. So get ready to feel inspired. After all, your health is your greatest wealth. You're listening to the Health is Wealth podcast, episode number eight. Today's episode is a conversation with one of my fellow health coaching gal pals, Meredith Wadsworth from The High Life. Meredith is a teacher and perpetual student of holistic health and wellness, a blogger, podcaster, and freelancer. She has an amazing calming presence that I know you'll be able to pick up on as soon as you hear her speak. We are talking all about her holistic approach to food and wellness, Ayurveda eating practices, her career shift from fashion to wellness, how she became a health coach, her exciting global travels, and why she decided to embark on this year-long travel journey. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I just really appreciate this. And I feel like we, we met through Instagram at least a year ago. Yeah. Right. And you had gone through the IIN program and that's kind of what connected us. Yep. And so I know that you consider yourself a health coach, but I feel like in this past six months, you have really blossomed into more than that. So at least from what I have seen. And so I would love if you could just give everyone kind of an overview of what you do, what your business involves, and then as we get talking, I really want to focus on um, kind of this world traveling that you've been doing and how that's connected to your business as well. Yeah, sure. Um, So my business, it's it's called The High Life. It stands for H-Y-E, which stands for honor yourself every day. And that's kind of been a principle that I've been trying to live by ever since I started this whole journey into health and wellness. Um, And so well, it's the title of my business. It's also been a mantra for me. And I think that's at the root of everything that I try to put forth and working with clients and what I share on my Instagram and my blogs and things. Um, and so really what it's about is really trying to holistically take the best care of yourself that you can so that you can not only feel your best and, um, you know, be nourishing your body from the inside out in terms of, you know, your nutrition and your physical activity and all those things, but so that you can show up to the world as your fullest best self. And so that you can then inspire others to do the same. You can, you can enrich your relationships. You can show up to your career, um, you know, at at your best potential and, um, really taking the time. And this is something that I've, I'm continually working on for myself, but really taking the time to do that. I've seen such major shifts that I've, I've made it up, taken it upon myself to really help other people do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So while my business kind of all centered around health coaching to begin with, that's like how I got started. I, like you said, I went to IIN and, um, I am also doing, um, this integrative health practitioner certification course that has a few different levels to it. That is a little bit more, um, rooted in the science. And so it's based in like functional medicine as well as, um, orthomolecular traditional Chinese. It really integrates all these different forms of medicine. And, and that's uses- with Dr. Stephen Cabral, right? Yes. That's with I Cabral. love him. Yeah. 
He is I like- his podcast. I just, I adore him. Oh my God. Yeah. I, it's funny. I actually found him um, by listening to the Skinny Confidential. She had him on, oh, like, which, awesome. seems like, which seems like not like a, like a right fit, but right. for some reason she had him on. And like, I'm so grateful every day that I listened to that episode because then it was just listening to him and the way he kind of um, goes about uh, learning and understanding the body, the imbalances in the body and um, the root cause of, of things mm-hmm. in a very natural and holistic way resonated with me so deeply that I was like, I have to learn every single thing that I can from this guy. And with, can you explain this certification more and how this is different than a basic health coaching certification? Yeah. So the biggest differences for me, um, like IIN was, I, I, I sort of see IIN as like this big umbrella around the whole world of health. And it's amazing that it, um, really dives into all these different dietary theories and it really gets you in the mindset that not one thing is going to work for everybody. And it helps you to really kind of see each person, each client, if you choose to have clients as an individual person, um, bio-individuality, they call it. And it really teaches you this concept of both primary and secondary foods. So primary being um, the foods that are actually not food that nourish your body or nourish your whole being. So your relationships, your career, your finances, um, and like your home life, things like that. And then secondary food is your actual food, your actual nutrition. Mm -hmm. So kind of really seeing how those come into play and how really getting well is not just a matter of what you're eating all the time or how much you're, you're working out, but actually seeing how there are physical changes that you can experience from having imbalances in those non-physical parts of your, of your health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I loved so much that I am really kind of introduces you to all these different concepts and things, but they didn't, for me, they kind of only scratched the surface mm-hmm. and they left me, they left a lot, um, more for me to want to dive in on. And while they provide you with the resources and the places that you can go and do that, it's very much like you, they kind of leave you to your own devices to do that. Um, so it's great if you're someone who doesn't know exactly what kind of area of health you want to get into and you want to, um, you know, they'll, they'll teach you, Oh, like, you know, you could get into, um, acupuncture and then like, Mm -hmm. that could be like your jumping off point to then go and study acupuncture more in depth or, um, something else in, in the whole realm. Um, Mm -hmm. some people get really into Ayurveda from doing it, that kind of thing. And then I am will also kind of teach you how to go about being a a coach, how to, you know, be a listener, how to ask the right questions and hold that space for someone. So that's why I think like that was definitely a a worthwhile investment and something everyone should go through. If you're looking to be a health coach, like Mm -hmm. get that as your foundation from there. I think the IHP integrative health practitioner is so incredible because it gave me that extra level of depth that I wanted in the, in the topics that interested me the most, which, and I'm someone who I'm interested in so many things, but again, I kind of needed to like do one thing at a time for me. And for me, the next level was to go deeper into the science of things, but not in a way that was like going to med school because for a number of things like Mm -hmm. med school doesn't sit with me and we can talk about that later. But, um, I really wanted to know, you know, at the root cause level, what, why are things imbalanced in the body? Like how can we go about creating balance, this sense of equilibrium, um, in a natural way that doesn't involve pharmaceuticals. And, um, why is it that people can have, you know, uh, the perfect diet, but they're still experiencing deficiencies and things like that. So, the IHP really dives into all of those um, levels at the same time, tying in how things like stress on your body, 
hormone imbalance, um, and, you know, rest, relaxation, emotional toxicity is like all of these things kind of come together, but not just like talking about them theoretically, but how they actually show up on like functional medicine lab testing. Um, so would you be able to prescribe or conduct that testing or is that something that you send out or how does that work? Yeah. So there's two levels to IHP that level one is you won't be able to um, actually interpret any labs, but you'll have all of these um, understandings and you'd be able to say, Oh, like my patient or my client, not patient, sorry, client (laughs) is experiencing X, Y, Z based off that I would recommend that you take this lab. um, If you so desire. And uh, with that, we'll be able to make like more, more tangible and direct um, good choices for you. But level two, yes, I, you will actually be taught how to interpret lab test results and read for the optimal levels of different deficiencies, toxicities, and things like that. Um, that would be so interesting. Honestly, yeah. when you start doing it, I would be very open to having lab testing done um, because I, I think that, like you said, you can be eating all the healthy foods, but... for me personally, like I know something is just off and I'm not sure if it's my environment or what it is. Mm -hmm. And my gut is telling me that I need, need some sort of like hard concrete lab testing done. Cause sometimes, you know, you could be eating a food that you're intolerant to, but your body's not showing it in a way that you're like breaking out in hives or your throat's itchy, but it's causing inflammation that you might not be aware of or whatever it is. Yeah. When you get around to that, yeah. Um, definitely let me know because it's been something that's been on the back of my mind. And I love just like you, like I love the science behind everything Yeah, and understanding like the black and white side. Like I love, I love the theoretical. I love the emotional side of food as yeah. well, but mm-hmm. it's so fascinating to get your own results. And you're like, wow, this is actually what's internally going on in my body. Yeah. That's why for me, I've always like, I've always been such a big fan and love reading about things like Ayurveda, which are all very intuitive based. And I am a very intuitive person, but I'm also someone who like my favorite subject in high school was like biology and like calculus. So I like Uh loved having the concrete, like I know how to get from A to B like through this proven method and like understanding that. So that's why to me, not only like, do I love having that like really concrete answers of like functional medicine testing, but the fact that the IHP does tie in Ayurvedic practices, Chinese medicine practices, you know, it it recommends going and like earthing and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So it's really holistic in that way. And it just touches on everything that resonates with me. And that's why I love that program so much, but. And I think too, depending on the clients that you work with, like some clients are not very intuitive. Like that's something that develops over many years. And so when you meet them, it might be easier to get through to them if you're showing them lab results. Yeah. Something that's a little easier for them to wrap their head around versus saying like, you know, if trust me, like if you were to ground every single day or drink hot lemon water, like you're going to notice major changes, but, but for people like that type of like higher level level prescription, yeah, it just seems like too good to be true almost. Yeah. So I think showing the black and white results to a client that is not naturally intuitive, that could be right. super beneficial for them. Yeah. And especially for people too, who are kind of just tapping into this whole world of like, you know, plant-based foods and, you know, 
going for saunas and things like that. All of, like the things that are kind of considered trendy in the world that of health and wellness right now that people are like, oh, that's just like a fad. Like what that's, mm-hmm. what's that actually going to do? Like I can show you like what it's going to do. So it's, it's nice for people who are sort of skeptical about what benefits could actually be to yeah, have like for sure these like tangible results. Totally. And I think too, like we forget that we surround ourselves with all of these trends, like all the people and the accounts that we're following on Instagram, like that is what we are immersed in all day long. But the average person eating a plant-based diet seems like a completely foreign concept where to us, it's just very natural. That's how we live our lives. Yeah. Like a a simple um, practice of roasting vegetables. Like I've had people ask me like, oh, how do you roast them? Like, what do you actually do? And for us and maybe other health coaches, it's just this natural, intuitive thing. So I always have to remind myself like, it's a good practice to just simplify everything, like bring it down to an elementary level because we've gotten so used to just pulling open our phone or our laptops and we have our go-to sources and websites for things. And that's just, I don't know, that's our, our natural form of, um, like education and how we've learned to heal our own bodies. But for the average person, they're just paying attention to, you know, mainstream media and mainstream cookbooks. So they're not really exposed to the type of knowledge that we've been privileged to. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it's funny, like I was literally just last night, my grandparents are visiting for the night and um, I was making some roasted veggies and they were like, oh, so like, how are you doing this? Like, oh, you're not using tinfoil? Like, what are you, what kind of oil are you using? And I was like, well, like kind of going through the whole thing and explaining, you know, why you shouldn't be using tinfoil and like what oils you should or shouldn't cook with and all that. And they're just like, oh my gosh, this is so complicated. And in my head, I'm like, it's really not. But like for them, especially someone, you know, maybe this older generation too, who just has no idea and they've been, you know, programmed to cook a certain way or eat a certain way for generations. It's, mm-hmm. it's like a total overhaul. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it definitely was a good reminder to be like, okay, you know, the things that come easy to me don't necessarily come easy to everybody else, but that's totally. exactly what a talent is. So, you know, you think about that and you're exactly. like, you know, I wouldn't want musicians to not play because they're like, oh, it's easy for me. So like, why should anyone else want to hear it? You know, that's like a very good analogy, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So going off of the plant-based side of things, have you always been plant-based or, and always been super into health, super into wellness, or what has your journey been to get to this point in your life? Yeah, it kind of came in waves, honestly. Um, so I was not always plant-based. And even now I say that like with an asterisk, like, I mean, plant-based can mean so many different things to me. Plant-based means you're eating a majority of plants for other people. Plant-based means you're entirely eating just plants. Um, for me, I'm eating 90% plants. And then when I feel like my body needs a little bit, something more, I'll have some fish, some wild caught fish, um, or, um, an egg on occasion, make sure, making sure it's non-GMO, you know, mm-hmm. free range, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that definitely came in stages. I'd say I've always been very health conscious from a very young age. Um, even when I was, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of scary to think at what age I really started getting involved with this. And, um, I was around like 10 or 12 years old when it's, it's cool. Like I'm grateful that I've been so aware of it for so long, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to lie, like fucked with my head a lot when I was like growing up and as a teenager. And, um, 
I'm grateful that like I've learned so much in the process to get to where I am now with it to, Mm -hmm. to be able to be grateful for that journey. But for a long time, it was something that I kind of resented because I felt like I never really had a normal relationship Mm. with food or with like, you know, health in general and with exercise and things. So Mm -hmm. um, it was a struggle for a while. I, um, just naturally as a kid had for whatever reason, kind of a slower metabolism than my sisters, my um, siblings did, my sister and two brothers. And um, we were always kind of like, why am, you know, I remember so clearly being um, in Disney World with my family and it was like a super hot day. And I was just like so uncomfortable and like, I remember just feeling so sluggish and like Mm. not energized. Whereas my siblings were like running around and like so excited to be there. And I was like, why do I feel like, why do I, you know, I'm a kid. Like, why do I feel this way? And like, it was really hard for my parents to see too. And so thus kind of sparked the journey into figuring out like, okay, like how can we speed up her metabolism things like that? Mm -hmm. So, and also like, you know, we didn't really know any better at the time, like what is healthy, especially for a kid and what's not. And it's like, it's crazy to think that I started going on Atkins actually when I was like, no way. Yeah. Wow. Um, and remind me what Atkins is. So Atkins is basically like eating super low carb, like at least for like the first, like first phase of it, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. like you're supposed to eat like a max of 20 carbs a day. Wow. Yeah. And otherwise it's like, they didn't preach that like there was such a thing as like bad fat and, and and good fat, you know, it was kind of like, just eat like 20 carbs or less and then have whatever else you have the bacon that you want have like the sausage that you want like have the cheese like all that stuff Mm -hmm. because those things are low carb so like yeah (laughs) and um so but my my mom's parents who'd also you know been struggling with their weight for a long time so they were on Atkins and so like we had gone to visit them and they were kind of like oh why don't you um experiment with like kind of what they're doing to eat healthier which we saw as them eating healthier we didn't see them as like you know, being on this really restrictive protocol at the time. Mm -hmm. So that was like my introduction into really being mindful of what I was feeding myself and that I couldn't just eat the same way as my siblings or, you know, I shouldn't just have like all the chips and things like that. Mm -hmm. And while that worked for a while, eventually, like as, as I scientifically understand now, like it plateaued. And, um, then I kind of tried to get more in tune with that intuitive. Okay. What actually feels good for me? What do I eat? That makes me feel sluggish. What do I eat? That makes me feel energized. Um, and I was experimenting literally all the way through college really. And even, I mean, I still experiment now, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes depending on the season, depending where I am in the world, like my body interacts with different foods differently. But, um, I went through a lot, a lot of trial and error and, Um, ultimately when I moved to New York, I, at that point I was eating pretty much mostly plants anyways, loved veggies, like just craved roasted veggies all the time, cooked veggies. They just are so good to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was still eating chicken, um, fish and eggs. And I rarely ever had red meat because we just didn't have, we didn't have it a ton at home. Like we didn't cook it that much. And except for like maybe once a year, once or twice a year, my mom would make like a flank steak or something. Um, or like my dad would cook burgers on 4th of July, but like, Mm -hmm. otherwise we never really had it. I never craved it. I didn't order it when we went out. I was like me too. Yeah. So I was like, okay, easy done. And as soon as I started learning about like the negative impacts of that, like that was so easy to cut out. Mm -hmm. 
So then it was really just chicken, which I'd always grown up loving, but then living on my own, trying to make it for myself, I was like, I could never get it to taste as good as my mom would make it. Or like when you order it out. And then I just like remember cooking it one time and like had like, didn't put anything on it. And then I was like, this doesn't taste good at all. This tastes like rubber to me. It's totally flavorless. Like I don't like chicken. I like everything you put on it. And interesting. So that paired with, again, sort of being more exposed to the inner workings of, you know, factory farming and just like where our animal products are coming from. I was like, there is no reason at all that I should be eating this. So I just like kind of took that knowledge and, you know, started putting all my favorite seasonings and things on veggies and on tofu and other things like that. So it has kind of evolved to where I am now with this mostly plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. So, and do you feel like you, you say you like still kind of experiment once in a while, depending on the season and where you're living, what does that experimenting look like? And maybe you can talk about like, now that we're in this fall season, what types of foods have you been either like taking out of your diet or adding into your mm-hmm. diet. Cause I know that like fall is one of my favorite times of year as far as food, like yeah. squash, the like sweet potatoes, yams. Like I love grounding foods mm-hmm. and I think that more people should take advantage of it and yeah. eat seasonally for your body. Cause I'm sure yeah. you've noticed like when you can pair like your cycle, everything up with the seasons, your diet, it makes all the difference. Cause that's naturally how we were meant to eat, right? When people were like living off the land and they would harvest all these natural seasonal vegetables. So if you have any, any things that you're doing personally now, like to help transition into this new season, what does that look like? Yeah. So for me, experimenting is now kind of more along the lines of when am I having raw foods or when am I having like cooked foods? And when I'm having cooked foods, is it being roasted or is it being steamed or sauteed or boiled? And, um, and in, in sort of like what quantities or what times of the day and things like that. So, um, this is kind of where it's fun to bring in more, some of that intuition, but also some of those like kind of Ayurvedic elements and, Mm -hmm in, um, those practices, like in the fall, like this time of year, you know, temperatures are dropping and, um, your body really needs those easily digestible, warming, grounding foods. Like you were saying, those squashes, those root vegetables, those sweet potatoes, um, those yams, um, and and even whole grains too, at this point. Mm -hmm. So like things like brown rice and quinoa and amaranth and millet and, um, those are really going to be nourishing for the body because, um, well, for a number of reasons, one being that when you're shifting into the colder seasons, your body is kind of ex- uh, expending more energy to keep you or, you know, keep your body warm, to keep you insulated. And so because you're expending more energy on that function, you don't want to put tons of energy or tons of stress on your digestive system because it's not going to be able to process it as easily. So that's why you want really easy to digest nourishing foods. And when foods are cooked, they're more easily digestible by the body, Mm -hmm. more readily absorbed. Um, And additionally, those root veggies and those whole grains, those are, those are complex carbohydrates, which is are amazing for your body. They're full of fiber. Um, They're not going to spike your, spike your blood sugar. Um, And they are very calming to your nervous system, which again, can be kind of all over the place, especially when, you know, temperatures aside, the fall season can be a, a time of 
um, you know, new beginnings for a lot of people, whether you're getting ready for school, your kids are getting ready for school. You feel like you're running around, you have a lot of parent meetings or, you know, Mm -hmm. just depending on what industry you're in, it could be a stressful time of the year for you. So, um, really having those, um, those kinds of foods in your diet to be soothing, be grounding and give you that really good energy is so important. And even like spices, I think people forget that, Spices can not only add flavor, but add amazing nutritional benefits to your body. Like Mm -hmm. uh, in the fall season, we should be using like cinnamon and um, cardamom, um, oregano, like think really earthy grounding spices. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's interesting in Ayurveda because I was doing some research on um, eating more in line with my pitta dosha type because that's Uh my predominant dosha. Mm -hmm. Um, they talk about like pittas, it's really important to incorporate more grains. And I think this is in all general doshas. We should have be having something sweet with every type of meal. And I can't remember all the different um like flavor profiles in Ayurveda, but there's like astringent, sweet, um, sour, all these different flavors. Mm-hmm. We should be aiming to have all of those. It if not every meal, for sure, every single day. And I think that the sweet one throws a lot of people off because when people yeah. think sweet, they're like, oh, you know, that's, that's fruit and that's sugar. And it's amazing how we've developed this fear around sugar mm-hmm. and like fruits and naturally occurring sugar in dates or even in like carbohydrates, like sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. And I wish that more people studied Ayurveda and studied that side of eating and really understood like why it's important to have all these different profiles because that's what our body naturally craves. Yeah. So like if you're craving something sweeter or we're entering to fall, you're craving more sweet potatoes and squash and whatever it is, that's your body's naturally natural way of telling you that it needs that. Yeah. So if you were to have someone come to you and say, you know, I'm having a really hard time putting together, um, like healthy dinners during the week. I don't have a lot of time to cook. Um, I'd like something that's super easy and convenient and I'm trying to transition to a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for them? Yeah. So my ultimate favorite way of really getting used to eating plant-based and having super easy, like healthy things available at all time is what I like to call, um, ingredient prepping as opposed to meal prepping. To me, meal prepping is this like whole intimidating thing. You have to set aside like all these hours on a Sunday. You have to decide days in advance, but you're going to eat the same thing three days in a row or sometimes five days in a row, which is honestly really not good for you anyways, because your food by that point is going to lose pretty much all its nutritional value. So mm-hmm. you're just eating, you know, you're still probably getting the macros from it, the carbs, fat, um, and protein from it, but you're missing all those micronutrients, which is so vital for you. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's how many people can be, be, um, deficient, nutrient deficient, but still maybe be at a normal weight or even be overweight, but still be deficient and in many things be now mal- malnourished. Um, But so that's kind of like another Ayurvedic principle is to have food that's been cooked, you know, within ideally 24 hours, no, no later than 48 hours. Well, and just to touch on that for one second, you, you might know more about this than I do. One of the principles in Ayurveda is, is, do you say it Agni? Agni. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The digestive fire. And that's like a big component in Ayurveda is always um, like having that really strong and stimulated 
and working with your digestive system. And yep. that's one thing about meal prep that I just cringe because I, I believe the same thing, like by day, even day two or three, if you are having those leftovers, you're reheating them, putting them in the microwave, which is just, it makes me cringe so yep. much. You're literally just destroying like all the food. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're, like you said, you're getting the calories and you're getting the macros, but you really should be focusing on things above and beyond that. Right. Yeah. It's not about the calories at the end of the day. It's about the nutritional value of that food. Right. So I'm interested to hear about your ingredient prep. Cause I, when I have people come to me and they ask about meal prepping, they're like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, nothing. I literally cook every single day and every night because I'm yeah. such a believer that things should be as fresh as possible. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm, th I'm that way too. Like when I have the time, I will cook things like right before I eat them. Um, and I have a bit more time to do that now, some more flexibility now, but when I didn't, when I was still working in like a nine to five or, you know, I was running all over New York, um, I didn't have all the time in the world. So it was helpful for me at least to have like lunch the next day at the ready, which would mm -hmm. still mean that if I cooked the ingredients the night before that it's still only 12 hours or so later, you know, right. like less than 24 hours later that I'm eating the meal. So it still retains more of those nutrients. Mm -hmm. Um, but so basically instead of preparing like entire meals, I will just roast like one or two trays of veggies, mixed veggies, cut them all up, put them on parchment paper, no oil necessary. I'll put on whatever seasonings I like, put them in the oven at around 400 Fahrenheit um, for 25, 35 minutes, depending on the size of your oven, you know, maybe take them out once, flip them around, check them or whatever, put them back in. But at the same time, while those are cooking, you can have a pot of quinoa cooking on the stove, or you can also put in like a tray of chicken or whatever, if you eat meat, or it can be a tray of, of roasting tofu or something else. Mm -hmm. Um, or you can have like one, a pot of quinoa and another, a pot of black beans that are cooking. So in other words, you have like all the components being prepared all at once in the same, like essentially 30 minute, 40 minute maximum time period. And then as long as you have things in your fridge, like fresh greens, or even if you have like frozen greens that you can then just like heat and saute in a pan or whatever. So you have all those fixings. And then, um, I I'm someone who just like, I love to keep it simple. So I love to just like kind of throw all those things in a bowl and like throw some avocado on it or some lemon tahini or something. And like, that's all I need and I'm good. But if I want to have something a little bit more creative, I can take all those roasted veggies and some of that quinoa and roll it up into a collard green wrap for lunch tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I can kind of re-saute it with the quinoa and add some um, coconut aminos and make it into a stir fry. Mm -hmm. So you can take those same ingredients and really mold it to whatever kind of dish you're craving in the moment. And it's so simple to just make enough to then carry over to that next meal for lunch the next day. So then you come home from work and same thing, 30 minutes, you know, prepping everything, you have your dinner, you have your lunch the next day and that's it. And the best part is that like once, once that pot is on there and simmering, once those veggies are in the oven, like go and do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. I go take a shower. I do a yoga workout. Mm -hmm. Like I, I read a book. Like I am not cooking in right. that general sense. Right. I'm in the kitchen, putting it in and leaving. And then I just have the time. So when people say like, oh, I don't have time to cook. I'm like, do you have time to shower? Because yep. you have time to cook. Yeah. It takes like five, 10 minutes to chop things up. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and I like the idea of ingredient prepping because you're not tied to one specific meal. Right. Like I, I could probably eat the same thing every day like you, like roasted veggies in a bowl with some like pesto or tahini, whatever, and I'd be good to go. But 
if I had to have the exact same meal, like, um, let's just say spaghetti and meatballs for five days in a row, I would go absolutely crazy. Yeah. But now that you have all these versatile ingredients that you could do like a wrap with or stir fry or, um, you know, just have a side of like salmon or chicken with the veggies that even helps you become a little more creative, I think, and like brings out the inner chef in everyone. And I think that that can be really intimidating for people. Like everyone thinks they have to follow a specific recipe or, um, you know, follow what someone else is doing. But if you just like give yourself that space to get creative and experiment with, with spices and like taste things as you go, like that's how people learn to cook. It's not by reading a book. It's really by like trusting your own taste buds and intuition. And I feel like this idea of that ingredient prepping is a really good way to do it. Just keep things interesting and switch it up. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because that's really how like cooking, like that's, that's definitely been my whole approach to it. Like it's fun to follow a recipe from time to time, but honestly, like even when I am looking at someone's recipe, I really just use it for kind of inspiration and kind of see like what ingredients they're using. And then I like, can't follow it. I'll try maybe just to follow it. And then like halfway through, I'm like, eh, I want to add this to it. I want to add this to it. And then right. it's just like totally strayed from where <laughs> I started. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that you get used to when you just, you know, especially when you're embracing the natural flavors of foods and you're not covering everything in like sugary sauces and things like that, yes. you start to really get what does this taste good with? Mm-hmm. And being able to intuitively put those ingredients together. Mm-hmm. But that's something that I'm, I'm really working on. People ask me like for recipes and things. And I did start out with my blog posting recipes. That's kind of like where it initially was from when I was still getting my coaching certification and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I would literally have to write them down as I was making it because otherwise I'm like, I don't ever like measure things out. I don't totally. write things down. So I'm like, if I don't write this down now, like I'm going to have no idea what I put in this. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's more or less what my recipes are. Like I put them on there and it's really just like, I made this this one time and it was good. Like, right. <laughs> and, and, but I'll share it if that's what you guys want. Yep, but, um, yeah. And then it's also, I feel like when you tell people like, this is literally the recipe, there's like two steps, five ingredients, that's it. And people are like, well, I don't understand. Like there has to be more. I think we've gotten so used to like needing these long, complicated recipes. Yeah, It's like, no, like just let the food like work for itself. And actually one thing I've been working on is um, not salting my food, like going back to the whole seasonings, not salting my food until after it's cooked. Mm-hmm. And then like tasting it. And I'm like, okay, if I need it, I'll add it. Because yeah. I think, you know, everyone adds salt and pepper to everything. It's just kind of this natural instinct. But I have read from Kimberly Snyder mm-hmm. that the as you cook the food, it's going to absorb the salt. And yeah. then typically will, people will add additional salt after it comes out of the oven. So you're yeah. getting sodium than you actually need. Yep. And so just as a little tip to like throw it out there, if you feel like you're eating too much salt, you probably are first off because yeah. generally we do as a society and try not to salt it until you've tasted it. Like just yeah. taste what the vegetable tastes like naturally and you might not need it. So yeah, it's true. It's true. And uh, I kind of, my mom is like literally like the queen of salt. I think she just like has 
millions of different kinds of salt every time we go somewhere and she sees like oh it's like a different seasoned salt or it's a it's a um a truffle salt or something oh, like funny it doesn't it doesn't matter like where the food's it can be a five-star michelin restaurant and she will douse it in salt before she even tastes takes a bite of it and i'm oh like my oh my gosh yeah. that's i like cringe yeah it's amazing like somehow she still doesn't have like hypertension or high blood pressure from that i guess like her body just naturally needs more of that sodium yeah yeah um, but that in and of itself can be indicative for you. So if you are someone that like feels like you do crave salt all the time and you need mm-hmm. to constantly be salting things, maybe you have an electrolyte imbalance. So that's yeah. something that you can look into. That's something you can functional me- functionally medicine lab test yes, for. Yes, there you um, go. But just experiment, yeah, and um, find what works for you. But yeah, well, that's a great tip. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring it up like how it could be a deficient I know salt is also related to different dosha types because like I know for myself, for pitta dosha types, I actually should not be eating a lot of salt. So I've been more conscious of um, not salting my food as much, but in general, I do not crave salty food. Like I could never have a chip or popcorn or anything for the rest of my life and not crave it. And I actually just crave sweets, which is kind of interesting because that's very in line with my personal dosha type. Yeah. So I'm just such a believer that everyone should figure out what they are. And it's so easy to do. Like you can just take a simple online quiz that takes a few minutes and it'll tell you what your predominant dosha type is and just experiment with what foods you should be eating, what foods you should be eating less of and notice how your body just becomes more in sync. Yeah. I will say the one caveat to testing or getting your Ayurvedic dosha online is that so in Ayurveda, there's like your constitution, which is sort of like your, your body dosha, like what you are, like you're born, like this is how, this is your constitution. But then there's also your condition and your, um, sometimes those tests can tell you that your dosha is something different based not on your, your physical body type, but on where your mind is at in the moment. So right. a lot of time, like so many people are saying, oh, I think I'm mostly Vata. I'm mostly Vata. And Mm. Vata is known for being um, kind of very, very flighty, very um, kind of stressed out, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of panicky, or sometimes they like forget to eat. They're so busy. And like, if you are someone who lives in a city environment, like that is going to be your mindset, you know, like you are going to be that, but your body could actually be Kapha. And so, and other people say like, oh, I'm Pitta, I'm Pitta because I'm always a go-getter. I'm always doing this, this, this. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. Like, and when you really could be Vata, you know? So mm-hmm. it's kind of have to take those with a grain of salt and make sure that you're getting, that you're one, taking a test that actually is asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would and say- maybe even try it from multiple different sources yeah, to make yeah. sure things are kind of matching up and they're consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point though. And I remember I bought a book on Ayurveda and they talk about, like you said, your constitution can be one, but then your mind can be something completely different. And so learning how to balance those two things, and it also can change by season, right? When it's warm, when it's cold, dry or wet, like that can change as well. So totally, totally. And especially if you are then, you know, shifting your eating habits and your movement habits and, and even just like your, your home, like kind of around those changes, like having that flexibility, I think is like one of the number one markers of good health and not feeling like you need to prescribe yourself to one way of living or feeding yourself or moving your body all year long, the whole rest of your life. I think that creates so much rigidity and it doesn't leave Mm -hmm. any wiggle room. And that's how you easily 
quote unquote fall off track, or that's how the minute you go on a vacation, you feel like, you know, you're lost and you feel stressed out. And so really allowing yourself to move with the ebb and flow of the year of your body, know that it needs something different and that it, that's how it's supposed to be. Totally. Is so important. Exactly. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your traveling adventures that you have been on. Mm -hmm. Just kind of give everyone an overview of where you have been and what kind of sparked this interest of literally just packing everything up and traveling and living all over the world. Yeah. Um, so, well, right now I'm back in, um, my hometown of Wellesley, Massachusetts, like a few, like 20, 20 to 40 minutes outside Boston, depending on the pike. Um, but I left my apartment in New York in April where I was living in New York for three years. And, um, I kind of just always, well, not always, like I initially was working in fashion. So that was where I, that's what I was doing my first two years in New York, but I'd also been staying in New York, working in internships every summer of college. So it felt like a lot longer than that. Um, but it was during like the middle of that second year of working there that I just felt like I wasn't fulfilled. You know, I didn't hate my job. It wasn't that I was like miserable or anything. Like I had a pretty good balance, but, um, I just didn't feel like where my, like the, you know, 80% of my time that I was devoting was towards a job that didn't actually bring me joy out of like a root level, you know? Mm Um, and so it all kind of started, um, with realizing that, you know, I'd always wanted to travel. I didn't really want to be stuck in a cubicle or, you know, within the confines of a box on like a glorious sunny day. And it just, it just felt very unnatural to me. And so I'd always kind of thought, okay, I want to be able to work for myself. And this is when I was, you know, getting, um, in it really into my certification and thinking, okay, how could I actually, you know, make something of this and actually really shift what I'm doing. It was all very, it was a, it was a progress. It wasn't just like I packed up one day and like left entirely. I first shifted into a job that was in, um, fitness at this company called p mm-hmm. um, which is an amazing, uh, new fitness, um, program and methodology that I think is incredible and, and, um, very much, you know, functional and functional training. So it ties in very well with everything that I've been learning. Um, but I loved that. And I was working there for about a year and that startup environment was great for me because they gave me like the time flexibility to be able to do my thing on the side. I wasn't working in an office anymore. I was coming, coming, going from a studio, working from home, working from cafes. So it really kind of introduced me to that work from anywhere kind of environment. Um, And so that was kind of like a baby step into then eventually being like, okay, I know that New York is not my city. I had some tangible proof that I wasn't, you know, as healthy as I could be. I was, my cortisol was all over the place and, um, I wasn't sleeping well. And, um, I knew that I just wanted to take better care of myself and that living in the city, at least at this time in my life was like, not, you know, I wasn't going to be able to get to that optimum level for me by staying. Mm -hmm. So, um, I knew, and once I was out of fashion, like I had really no ties to the city, you know, I had, I had made friends there, but my like really great friends were not in New York. My family wasn't in New York. And I just felt like, you know, other than growing up in Boston, going to school in Virginia, New York was the only other place in the world that I really knew. And I'd traveled many places before with my family. I was very, um, lucky to be able to do that, but very much like as a tourist and not really, 
um, seeing, you know, and embodying the way that other people were living. Um, so I really basically just felt like I was in a bubble and I really wanted to just like break out of that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, um, I could, you know, move from New York and immediately settle down in another place. Like I'd always kind of envisioned myself staying in California for a little while or, um, you know, maybe going and living in a different country abroad. And I just had all these different possibilities in my head that I was like, well, I don't have to choose right now. And, you know, I've always wanted to go to like Australia and like other places that require multiple weeks of vacation. And like, I wouldn't want to go there while paying rent. So why don't I just travel now and like not pay rent for a while, you know, put mm-hmm. that money towards, you know, Airbnbs or whatever towards travel and then figure out from there, like where I would want to potentially stay longer term. So that was kind of like my progression into realizing like travel was like eventually what I wanted to do um, for, for now at least. And mm-hmm. so then it was around New Year's where I was kind of going back and forth, feeling really torn between, you know, how much longer should I stay in New York and, you know, stay with the company I was working for and when should I just kind of take this leap of faith. And um, you know, I was talking to my sister who has always been such, uh, you know, such a, a cheerleader for me. And, um, she was really just like, you know, there's no other, there's no better time for you, especially now, you know, like you're single, like you have nothing tying you here. Like, you know, you should just go and explore. And also, you know, the longer that you stay working, especially in the startup, like they were growing so rapidly and they're doing so well that I knew that the longer I stayed, like the more in it I was going to be mm-hmm. and the harder it would be to leave. So while it was so amazing watching them grow and be a part of that success, I knew that like it wasn't going to be my success. It was their success. And while I will always be an advocate for them, like I knew that I needed to make that decision for me and they couldn't have been more supportive. Um, which really meant a lot. And so when I kind of made that mental decision that, okay, I was going to leave as soon as my lease was over in New York, I didn't want to sign on for another year. So that was like a big thing. It was like, I leave now or I'm here for another year. So I was like, all right, not here for another year. So I guess I'm leaving now. And, um, with that, just like kind of all the signs from the universe just kind of pushed me, pushed me out. Like everything was just kind of lining up from there. And, um, so I felt really, really good about leaving. And while it was scary, it was like a really good kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided that I was going to first travel in Europe. And my sister is uh, living in London at the moment. And so she so graciously offered to have me kind of use her place as base camp for the summer and be able to like leave a lot of my stuff there. And then I can, you know, do smaller smack pack a smaller bag mm-hmm. and travel to other places um, from That's there. It's amazing that you have that yeah. connection. Oh my God. It was, I'm so grateful. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to go to nearly the places or as conveniently for sure mm-hmm. if I didn't have her um, there. So I'm so grateful for that. And plus I got to spend more time with her and with my nephew who yeah. too. I got to be there for his birthday and Aww. that was so special. Um, we're really close, but being, you know, across the pond from them for the past, you know, four years has been, been hard. So that was really, really nice. And, um, you know, that was another thing too, like, you know, aside from, you know, it being a career move to leave, it was, you know, you know, it, this whole journey for me of, um, you know, diving into my health and wellness has also just been very much like a, 
almost like what is, you know, the meaning of life kind of thing too. Like, I don't want to say like, I left to like find myself or like leave my problems mm-hmm. or anything, but it's kind of like taking a step back and being like, what is really important in this lifetime? Like when I'm on my deathbed, like, what am I going to regret? Like, I'm going to regret not being there while my nephew was growing up. You know, I'm going to regret not taking that opportunity to go and see the world and like make mistakes and meet people. And like, I feel like all these opportunities that, you know, maybe generations before us just like innately did at this time of their life. But, but where we are now, like, especially this millennial generation where we're told that you do college and then you do your career before you've even graduated. And like, you're just working for the next 50 years. And like, then you can have fun. Like mm-hmm. just that's totally deprived from us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really wanted to get back in touch with that and what, with what actually makes people feel fulfilled and connected to the world. So, um, that's been a big part of the journey for me. And it's honestly kind of woven into what I do now as a coach too. I help people kind of see the bigger picture. Um, you know, like, Mm -hmm. why are you trying to get well? Like, what is your motivation? Because that also comes into, you know, such a huge play when actually trying to follow through on, on making these better life, you know, shifts, um, really tying it to something that is outside of, you know, just the way they look or, you know, a personal goal, like how can you make mm-hmm. that goal tied into the rest of your community or, or, you know, your life experience. Um, well, and it's amazing how like that, why going back to that, why it's important in every single aspect of your life, yeah. like business, financial, spiritually, nutrition, like you always have to have a why. Cause if you're not, you're just kind of living up here. Like you're not mm-hmm. grounded and you'll spend your whole life searching for a purpose. If you yeah what your why is. Yeah. It's really cool that you like this six month journey that you have been on, like that was kind of like the main takeaway that you got from it. Like, yes, you got to see really cool parts of the world, but it almost, it seems like it's helped you reconnect to your why. Yeah. That true. I definitely, definitely think it has. And I think it's introduced me to, you know, it's, it's gotten me out of my comfort zone time and time again. And that's like a natural thing that happens just by nature of traveling Mm -hmm. and you're going to be put in situations that you've never been in before. You're going to have to be surrounded by people who don't speak your language or you don't speak theirs. And, but that's kind of like the best part of it. And for me, you know, a lot of it, I guess I'd say maybe 50% of the time I was traveling alone, but I don't say like I was alone when I was traveling, you know, I was either you know, alone in the in-between and then meeting up with people, or I would go somewhere by myself, not knowing anyone, but very quickly meet people. And then Mm -hmm. I had someone, you know, so, um, and with that, it's kind of fun too, because I feel like when you're by yourself, you don't feel the subconscious need to, to be the person that whoever you're with knows you as, you know, I think inevitably we all have different facets to our personality and to who we are. And that's brought out by the people that we're with. And when you're not with anybody that you know, you have that freedom to be whoever the fuck you want to be every totally. single second. And I think that is something that's so liberating. And then, you know, you meet people who you'll, you'll meet people who it's almost like, yes, like you get a friendship out of that or you get a cool relationship out of that, but you get a different part of yourself out of it. And oh, that's like, that. that's how like you keep expanding and growing who you are mm-hmm. through those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has been such a huge takeaway from, for it, from me. Um, at the same time, it's been a really interesting um, sort of back and forth because as you grow, you're like, oh, like I like who I am when I'm with these new people. And you start really adapting to that person that you 
are starting to embody. And then you maybe come back and see people from, you know, that you've known for a long time and you kind of revert to mm-hmm. the person that you've always been with them. And then it's kind of this internal conflict. You're like, oh, well, wait, I thought I was a lot more fun and carefree. That's how I was with those people, but I'm really reserved with these people. And like, you know, going back and forth. And for me, that was kind of like a real uh, mind game. I guess I was like, mm-hmm. you know, try, it was, it's almost like an identity crisis in a way you're trying to figure out like, who is, who am I authentically and mm-hmm. realizing that you can be those different versions of yourself. You can be it authentically as long as you aren't in each of those situations, trying to prove to someone that you're something you're not like what, what, like whatever feels natural coming forth, whoever you're with or in those situations is like yeah. how to be your authentic self. You know, yeah. you're not more authentic one version of you or the other. Exactly. Yeah. That's so fascinating. You bring that up. I've noticed that as I've gotten older, I will like, I'm sometimes like how I was back in college where I was super outgoing, super social. And then other times I just like to be a fly in the wall. Mm-hmm. And I know in a few situations, it's bothered me that I feel like that. And I'm like, why am I, why am I like being so shy right now? And I'm not just like being outgoing, like how I used to be. And you brought up a good point though. Like it's not about being one person or the other. It's just about you acknowledge it, but you're still your authentic self at your core. And it's okay for other people to bring out certain parts of you. And that's like a gift. If someone else can bring out a side of you that maybe doesn't come out as naturally, that's just like a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So with regards to your traveling, what different cities and countries did you go to? And if you had to pick kind of like your top few favorites, what were they? Mm. Okay. So I went to let's see, country-wise, um, obviously London in the UK, but I went to Greece, Italy, France, Switzerland, Germany, Spain, Portugal, the Netherlands, um, Czech Republic, and Hungary. Oh my goodness. 10. <laughs> so were those 10, did you have like a list of places you wanted to hit or did this just kind of naturally happen? No. And so that was like the other best part of this is like when I went to travel, I did not really want to plan very much because so much of my life had been planned out, you know, like from, from, from college to having a job, I had a job before I graduated. And from that job to the next job, they overlapped, you know, like I had zero Mm -hmm. downtime to really let myself just kind of figure out what I really wanted to do or go with the flow. And so I really wanted this to be a time where I was open to spontaneity, open to staying someplace if I found it interesting, or if I met someone who was like, oh, meet me here, like I could do that. And so I had a few places that were kind of like, or or, or a few things on my calendar that I knew were like, okay, I know I'm going to be here at this time, but from, but you know, for the six weeks until then. I got nothing. So like I can be wherever I want. So having a little bit of structure was helpful mm-hmm. um, to kind of keep pace, but otherwise everything was kind of very spontaneous within that. So I knew that I wanted to, I knew I wanted to revisit Paris. That's a place I've been several times, but every time I go there, I get something different out of it. And I'd never been by myself. I'd only ever been there with my sister or with family or um, with friends. Paris so, is one of the most magical cities yeah. ever. It's cool. And I love that, like, if for anyone who's ever been there or not been there, like the arrondissement, like the different kind of areas, neighborhoods within it, you get something different no matter which one you're in. So you can stay in a different one every time and experience Mm -hmm. like a whole different city. So that's, it's very cool. Um, 
so I knew I wanted to go there and I knew that I was going to, um, be going to Greece with one of my best friends from college. And that's really kind of what kicked it all off after, um, I first got there. She knew that I was going to be in Europe and she'd always wanted to go to Greece. And so she was like, I want, you know, this to be like my vacation I'm treating myself to. So like, Mm -hmm. let's do it right with like a trip planner and all that. So that was like really all planned out and taken care of. And it was amazing. Um, but then after that was like very much like, you know, I didn't have any like travel agent or anything like that. That was all Mm -hmm. just like me staying in hostels and things like that. So, um, but it was fun to have that kind of like really like elevated. Totally. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, and then I knew that I was going to be doing a yoga retreat while I was over there. Um, I know you did that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was in Portugal, I did a yoga retreat, which was so awesome. My first one I'd ever done. Wow. Um, and I did that there. So I knew, like, like I said, I had these like kind of little markers, um, Mm -hmm. throughout the few months that I was there, but Mm -hmm. in between was very spontaneous. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I will definitely be asking you about Switzerland in the near future because yeah. that is on our list to travel to next year. And I've heard yeah. incredible things. It's beautiful. So, okay, good. So beautiful. We, we really want to go some time in the fall because I've always wanted to experience fall in a different country since it's my favorite season. So I'm, I have high expectations, um, of their fall. And I've heard that I think fall in general in Europe, it's a little slower because not everyone is on holiday versus summer. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what I've read. Yeah. I think it depends where you are. Like, I think there are going to be some places that are kind of busy all year round, like Paris. True. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that would be the case for sure. In some places that slow down a little bit. Um, but then of course there are also places like, and parts of Switzerland that pick up in the colder months because of skiing and like, very true. Like that. So, so would you, when you were traveling, did you stay like three days in a place or a week or how, how long was the average stay? I'd say on average four days. Okay. But some places it was a day or two and okay. other places I'd stay for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say, yeah, in between like three or four days. And, um, I would say if you are wanting to travel for a year, you're going to have to slow it down. Like for me, um, I got burnt out from traveling, like enjoyed every single minute of it, but felt really ready to come back and just, you know, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit and I like having like my space, my things and, mm-hmm. um, you know, moving around so much really threw me off and, um, not being able to cook for myself, something that I've gotten so used to and taken advantage of having my own kitchen. And so I really missed those things. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm back here now and I'm calling this kind of my intermission because my Mm -hmm. travels are going to continue just in a different part of the world. Um, so where are they continuing next? They, well, so I'll be in the States through the end of the year, but I'm okay. going to go and spend the next month in, uh, San Diego. Ooh. So excited for that. Um, and then I'll probably come back to the East coast for the holidays with my family. And then from there, um, I'm thinking I'll be in Australia for January. Oh, wow. And I say that because I know for sure I'm going to be in Bali in February to get my yoga certification. Oh so my gosh. This is kind of what I mean. Like I'll have something in the distance that I like know I have to be there for. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, what makes sense based on that? So I'm either going to go to Australia and do that for the month of January before Bali, 
or I might go back to Europe. Um, and at that point, my, my, uh, day limit that I'm allowed in Europe will have reset so I can legally go back. Oh, okay. That was another reason I had to come back. Is it six months or what is the limit? Um, so within the Schengen territory, which is like most of the EU countries, if you're a U.S. citizen, you can be there for 90 days out of 180 days um, mm. cumulative. So three months out of six months, basically. Okay. Um, and then, you know, there's not, it's not like if you're, if you stay a day longer, like someone's going to come track you down and kick you out. But like, if you try to then, whenever you do eventually leave the, leave the area, it is kind of up in the air, whether you'd get someone who's, you know, nice at the airport or someone who's mm. really like not having a great day and right. do a big old fine. And mm-hmm. I've also read horror stories of people getting like deported. So I oh, did not want to be able to not return to Europe for like two years. So yeah. I, and I'll come back and I just said, maybe I'll come back in uh, December. So either Either I'll head back to Europe and visit some some friends that I made while I was over there and then go to Bali or I'll go to Australia. So TBD. So how has your work life balanced with all this travel? Like, have you still been running your business full time while you've been doing this traveling? What's kind of been going on in that part of your life? Yeah. So that was another thing that I kind of got really ambitious about and you know, one of the things that I feel like I needed to resolve within myself is my tendency to do everything at once and say yes to everything and, um, overload my plate, which is something that got me in trouble when I was in New York and probably led to my cortisol being all over the place. Um, and I kind of took that idea with me when I was traveling, I was like, Oh, this is great. Like I'll finish my certification and I'll run my business and I'll travel everywhere and I'll meet people and I'll do all the things. And just like, had this kind of idea in my head that I was going to be able to balance it all. And especially when you're moving around every four days, like that is not mm-hmm. going to happen. And so I struggled for like the first, you know, probably month of trying to find and strike this right balance for me of being able to actually enjoy where I am and make the most of those places. Um, but also not feel like I was letting my business kind of fall to the wayside. And ultimately what I realized is like, you know, my business is going to be best served by me really being able to focus on it when I can focus on it. But when I'm not really living my life to the fullest, because ultimately that's what I'm trying to help other people to do. So not completely splitting things um, when this is such a unique time for me. Like I will have all the time in the world to really focus on my business and grow that as much as I want to when I find a place to feel rooted again. But for this time, I am of course going to, um, you know, keep, you know, posting things or I'll do podcasts and I'll, um, you know, occasionally do blogs and things. But my focus right now is not to grow my business. My, my focus right now is to grow myself as an individual and as a coach, um, as a friend, as all of these things so that I can then show up to my business even better when that time is right. So I was still working with clients while I was over there, but I wasn't proactively trying to bring more on. It was Mm -hmm. more like if someone really felt, you know, connected and they wanted to work with me, like I was more than happy to make that work with them. And it's, it was great. Those clients were so flexible with me. They knew that my travel schedule was kind of up in the air. So occasionally we'd have to move things around, but so I, I worked with probably four clients, um, while I was abroad and I don't think I could have done more than that because if mm-hmm. I had, I would not have been able to really, um, you know, 
embrace where I was and um, feel like I got everything out of my travels that I could have, I probably would have like come back feeling like, you know, I didn't really get much out of that. So yeah, yeah, my focus really kind of shifted. And again, that was kind of like a scary thing to embrace. I felt like, you know, I'd spent all this time kind of trying to focus, focus on and build up my business. But, you know, and that's the thing is like when I kind of let go of that idea that I needed to spend so much time on it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that that's not even what people expected of me. People, you know, they were supportive of me just like doing this for me and exploring. And um, it didn't like, you know, slow engagement or like I didn't like lose followers, you know, like all that stuff right. that people worry about when they like aren't working on their business 24 seven. Like if anything, you know, people are just more and more into what I was doing. Um, and you know, being true to what I needed for myself Mm -hmm. at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So I guess in that way, like I was working on it all along, but in a very different way, you know, not how you expected to be working on it, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, you might find that your business will go in a completely different direction based off of like what people are loving hearing from you. Like if people were really into this, this traveling season of your life, like maybe that's what your audience wants to hear more about. And I, when I sit down and coach other health coaches and entrepreneurs, I always tell people like, pay attention to what people are asking you or what they're really interested in. Sometimes we feel this need to fight it because we have this image in our head of like, this is exactly where I want my business to go. But if the market's not there for you or like this audience that you have built up is just, they're not buying what you're selling, like to put it candidly, you have to like shift direction and just kind of be willing to ebb and flow and not have this like concrete tunnel vision of where you think you should go. Yeah, totally. It's not the right path you should be on. Totally. And I think that's also what contributed so much to me for, with my own personal confusion as to what I even wanted to call myself. Like, I still don't love the title coach. Like I mm-hmm. never really sat well with me. And then I was like, well, what do I call myself? Like, do I have to call myself something? But like, if I don't, people aren't going to know what I like help them with. But I've always kind of just believed that by putting out there the, the kinds of um, things that I believe in and, and stand for, like whoever resonates with that message is going to feel that connection and that call to reach out to me mm-hmm. and whoever needs to hear it will hear it. And it doesn't matter if I have a thousand followers or, you know, a hundred thousand followers, like it will yep. reach people who need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the kind of attitude I sort of embraced with trying to brand myself, I guess, as a particular type of coach And when the more and more clients that I was working with, especially the ones um, that I was working with over the summer, I was realizing that while initially they would come to me, you know, saying, oh, you know, I need help getting back into a healthy routine with my diet or with my exercise or, you know, it was more, the common thread wasn't that they needed guidance in that way, but that they needed to trust themselves in a period of transition. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so fascinating um and beneficial for me because you know i'm sure that you talk about this um with your clients and things too and and the coaches that you coach is how your clients will kind of mirror you the world will show you what you need to see in yourself and so while i was going through these constant periods of change and transition for myself on this travel and just learning more about who i am 
my clients were needing help and support in this period of transition in their lives, whether it was from one job to another, um, you know, or whether it was, you know, transitioning out of being in a corporate mindset to kind of being an entrepreneur and just like having that, uh, that faith within themselves to that they can do it and to create that routine and that sense of self-worth that they deserve to have a routine. And so while our initially our talks would be like, okay, like, you know, you need, I can totally help you to, you know, make more wholesome food choices and like mm-hmm. give you some structure there. But ultimately like because there's a reason you're feeling imbalanced and in, in that you don't trust yourself there. So let's talk about why you don't trust yourself and like, where does that come from? So it's almost like it transitioned from being, you know, a health coach in the sense that I'm helping with, you know, the, the diet and exercise to yeah. really helping people to connect to who they are and mm-hmm. their authentic sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of something that's, that can be scary to, to say like, that's what you help people do. And it's almost like, you know, it's not a life coach per se. It's, you know, it's kind of this like unbranded, unnameable thing at the moment. If you Maybe have an you idea of yourself, like a connector of some sort instead of a coach. Yeah. yeah <laughs> a connector, I guess. Um, but, but it, it's true that like, I think too, there's this, um, misconception that coaches have it all together. And it's like, um, no, like we, we have the tools and we have the resources, but we are on the exact same journey you are. Mm -hmm. It's not like we are eating hundred percent clean every single day, or we're meditating for 20 minutes every single day and our stress is always down and you know, wellness is our whole life. Mm -hmm. That is not the case at all. No, I don't think you would be a good coach if you like quote unquote were perfect, even though I know that doesn't exist. But if you were constantly working on things yourself and going through these transitions and these challenges, how do you help people through that same thing? If you've never right. experienced that. Right. So, totally. You're not relatable. You know, no. like no one's, no one's ever going to learn something from the person who didn't have a journey when they were just, you know, if they didn't experience any hardships, like how, how how can I get any, you know, that's not me. So how can I like see myself in, in this person? If like no part of it mirrors what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's again, why I think that like, you know, especially when you're looking for clients to just trust that the ones who are going to learn from you and that you will learn from will match you and that you can't serve everybody because you're exactly. going to you're going to have a journey that matches a client's and they're going to have a client they're like they're going to have a journey that matches yours and when it you know that's when it's a real relationship because totally you learn so much from from your clients as much as they learn from you and people don't hire a program they hire a coach like they are hiring the person behind that program and like you and I could be selling the exact same thing, but our clients are completely different because yep. people are attracted to different personalities, different energy. And that's always something that I try to remind even the people that I work with is the health and wellness field is not oversaturated. I don't like when I hear that because there's always room for everyone, but there's not only so many different segments that you can go into, but there's so many personalities and there's billions of people on this planet that all need health and wellness. And all it takes is like one connection or one relationship with someone and that it's just this ripple effect in your business. And that's how you get really great referrals and really great results from people is just that personal connection. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily what you're teaching or prescribing, I think it's even deeper than that. It's having Mm -hmm. that very like 
intimate trust with someone. And that's really what health coaches should be focusing on is like building the foundation of their business. Yeah, totally. Definitely. And I almost feel, I almost equate it with like, you know, it's almost like, like languages, like you can hear so many people telling you to make certain changes in your life. But if it's in a language, you know, um, you know, if it's phrased in a way that doesn't resonate with you, then it's not going to sit with you. You're not going to actually take action on it. But then you could hear the exact same thing from someone who really speaks your language. And Mm -hmm. then that's like what you needed to hear to make the change, you know? And sometimes, sometimes you could, sometimes it could literally be the same message that 10 other people have told them, but it's the 11th message from you that pushes them over. So like, don't, you know, lose faith in that. Right. Don't give up on people. They always come around. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap this up, I want to ask you, um, one final question. If you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? You know, on the one hand, I would tell her, you know, back when I was telling you my story of, you know, being so, you know, hyper aware of, you know, health and nutrition at such a young age, I would love to tell her, don't worry about it. You know, you, this is part of growing, like you will grow into yourself. But another part of me wouldn't tell her anything because I don't know if I'd be where I am today with the lessons that I needed to learn along the way. So Mm -hmm. I I almost want to say I wouldn't tell her anything. I like that. That's actually the best answer I've ever heard because it, it's almost counterintuitive. Like people always say like, Oh, I wish I would have done this, but then we value the lessons that we've learned. So like you said, those lessons would never have happened if you could have gone back and told yourself something else. Cause like the course of your life might've changed. Exactly. It's kind of like seeing your former self. It's like, it's almost like when you're a parent, you know, I'm not a parent, but I can say like, it's really hard to let your children make their own mistakes and you want to protect them and give them that shell, but they're just not going to learn the same way. And it's kind of like, if I look at my former self as my child, you know, it, it pains me to know that she'd be going through that at such a young age, but Mm -hmm. if she didn't, you know, she wouldn't be the person that she is today that I love. So. Oh, I love that. That is a very beautiful answer. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. And now that everyone knows who you are, I want people to know how they can find you. So tell us what your handle is on Instagram um, and how people can reach you otherwise. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on. You know, I love chatting with you. And so I was so excited to come on and, and chat with you. Um, but my handle on Instagram is the high life. Um, so the H Y E life. And my website is feelthehigh.com. You can just get there from my Instagram or just type that into your search bar. I also have my podcast, the High Life Podcast, and everyone should listen to the episode. Everyone should listen to the episode with you. Um, Oh, yeah. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so that's on iTunes. It's also on Spotify and accessible from my website as well. So those are the main places and Yay. and we'll look forward to seeing all of your upcoming travels coming up. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. There's a lot more ways that it's going to be expanding. Like I said, yoga and, you know, energy healings and things. So I'm, I'm moving in all different directions and just letting it kind of flow with me. So. Oh, good. Okay. Well, thanks Meredith. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for listening to the health is wealth podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. If you love the show, share it with a friend you think would love it as well. 
Also, please leave us a review if you feel called to do so by going to iTunes and sharing your honest thoughts and what you would like to hear more of on the podcast. Until next time, remember, your health is your greatest wealth.